Great. I'm just going to read to you from Matthew 4 and um, verse 23. So Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, um, the Decap Decap Decapolis, I've read that in the first service and it came up beautifully, Jerusalem, Judea and the region across the Jordan followed him. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up to a mountain and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Andy. Thank you. Good morning. Great, great to be together. And uh, we're looking at the, the first of these uh, Beatitudes, the poor in spirit this morning. Um, I was just thinking about it this week because it's a strange word, Beatitude, um, if you're quite honest. And uh, I remember I got picked for a choir when I was 10. I know this may be strange to many of you. Um, and uh, we went on a tour of Italy with this choir, but we sang songs in Latin and all sorts of languages that I never, so I didn't have a clue what I was singing about. And uh, one of the songs we sang was called uh, Beatus Via um, by a guy called Monteverdi. I won't sing it. Um, my dulcet soprano tones dropped massively when I hit secondary school. And also street cred became far more important than being in the school choir at that point. And uh, it's only recently that I've discovered what that song was even means. And it's Latin. Beatus is Latin for blessed. It means blessed is the man or blessed is the one. And it goes on who fears God. Uh, straight out of uh, uh, verses in the Bible. And uh, that is what this is, the blessed one. The beatus is where we get beatitude from. It simply means blessed um, in the sense that each of these phrases of Jesus's uh, begins with the word blessed. Blessed, in this case, are the poor in spirit, for they will see uh, the kingdom of heaven. So at the start of this renowned series, uh, this renowned sermon of Jesus, uh, are these eight blesseds that we, get, that we, that we have. Um, there's a book being put together, um, we've put together, uh, Tim mainly, um, uh, a book that for us to think about, questions, readings each day, just to reflect on the Beatitudes uh, over the coming weeks as we work through this series. So that's a, a gift to you all um, to use uh, on your own or in groups, life groups, uh, however that might, might uh, work best uh, for you. And uh, the word blessed implies something good. Yeah, that's kind of, if you get blessed with something, that's a good thing. Um, I, it implies something that's freely given. You don't earn it, it's just you've been blessed with it. Um, it also implies something that comes from God. It's something from heaven. It's got a taste of heaven upon it. It's not just something you stumble across, but actually it's something of, of the goodness of God come upon us in some way. And uh, the Greek word uh, makarios refers to the highest type of well-being a person can experience. There's a sense of, of thriving and joy and fulfillment, uh, fruitfulness and well-being, resilience. All of those things come into what it means to be blessed uh, in our lives. And the question is, is what is the secret to this blessed life? And who is the person who can be blessed? Our world might say, surely the, somebody who's blessed is a, is a religious person. Surely they're, they're the ones that are blessed. Or perhaps the rich, surely that's the sign of God's blessing upon their lives. Uh, surely it's blessed are the happy and the comfortable, and not those who mourn. Surely it's the blessed who those who 
you know, who fight for their position in life and uh, work their way to the top. Surely they're the people that are blessed. You know, surely the blessed are those who are already righteous and live good and upright lives. Surely that's what it is. You know, surely the blessed are those who, who don't let others take advantage of them. Um, not this merciful stuff. You know, surely the blessed are those who aren't so black and white about life because, you know, then life's a lot easier, isn't it? Rather than the pure in heart. You know, surely the blessed are those who keep away from troubled situations, not the peacekeepers who end up getting stabbed trying to solve something. Surely the blessed are those who go with the flow so that everyone gets on with them rather than the persecuted. And yet Jesus turns what we think of in our world completely on its head. And uh, the blesseds are even misunderstood very often in Christian circles. Uh, some of them, some see the, these, uh, these statements as basically meaning you've got to be poor, you've got to be sad, you've got to be weak, you've got to be, you've got to be mild if you're going to be an ideal Christian. But that is not what they're saying. Likewise, some can read them as just a, a list of the ultimate to-dos for the Christian life. If you want to be an ideal Christian, then these are the things that you need to do. And they're pretty miserable ones at best, if we're honest. Um, if we're to experience the love of God and his kingdom, then that is what you must do. But it's not really that either. So what is the context here? Um, because that helps us understand what Jesus is trying to say. And just back a few verses in Matthew chapter 4, we read um, this. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Okay, repent, turn to God in other words, for the kingdom of God is available to everyone. The kingdom of God is really close at hand. It is available uh, in this situation. And of course, there was crowds following him. So that's why we read the bit just before Matthew 5. The crowds were there and God's kingdom was coming. Their lives were being changed um, as, he, as he set them free from all sorts of things uh, in their lives. And then in the next few verses, he calls his first followers, uh, Simon Peter and Andrew, James and John. And uh, he says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And they go out throughout Galilee teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, setting people free, healing people of sickness, and the large crowds are there. And so he goes up on a mountainside to teach. Uh, and he says his disciples came to him. But actually, he's not just speaking to the disciples because at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, we read in um, Matthew 7, 28, that uh, after Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority not as the teachers of the law, the religious leaders. This is a message for the crowds. This is a message for, this is good news for the crowds. These blesseds are for the crowds that are following Jesus around uh, in, the find, in the context that he finds himself in. Dallas, Will, Dallas Willard argues that the poor in spirit is not a praiseworthy condition. It's often how we read it. It's not a praiseworthy condition like to attain humility in life. But rather, the poor in spirit is, is having poverty in spirit. And as soon as we use the word poverty, spiritual poverty doesn't sound like a positive thing. You know, if you're a, a Christian, if you want to follow Jesus, you probably wouldn't want to be associated with being called spiritually, having spiritual poverty. It's a lack, okay? It's spiritual failure. It's spiritual deficit, spiritual bankruptcy in our lives. Uh, those who haven't got a clue about what religion is all about and don't pretend to. So all of these are the people that are crowding around Jesus. They, they don't get religion. They, don't, they haven't got any of that. They don't know the Bibles. They don't have any spiritual qualifications. They're unlikely to lead you in a prayer. 
Um, they can't make head nor tails of religion. Spiritual poverty is not something good in itself. But Jesus says, yours is the kingdom of heaven. Turn to God because the kingdom of heaven is available to you. I had a woman for me on th- uh, Tuesday, I think it was. I thought she was local at first. So I, I, you know, I said, she had all these questions. I was trying to get her to come to the Alpha course. But she said, no, I'm living in London. I said, okay, right, there might be something near you. But she had questions then and there. And she said, I don't understand this, this religion thing. I don't understand the Trinity. Can you explain this? This God who's three and all of that. I don't get it. And we talked a bit about that. And then she asked, she said, surely the Bible, I, I can't understand why you can, you, know, you can trust what's in the Bible and all of this. And we talked a bit about that and asked her if she'd ever read any of it, maybe even Luke's gospel, which she hadn't. She hadn't even read it. I encouraged her to do that. And then she said, well, the big question for me, she says, is can you tell me what the meaning of life is? You know, just like <laughs> over the phone. So, you know, I explained to her. <laughs> now, we, but we talked again, you know, and we said this is about, you know, it's about relationship with God. It's about God has created you for good works in this world. You know, he's created you uniquely to make a significant difference in this world in which you live in. Um, you know, and if these are the questions you're asking, I mean, encourage you to come on the Alpha course even this Tuesday because they're the kind of questions that we look at and we talk about. But she was confused, but she was asking questions. The kingdom of God is available to her. It is for her. I was giving a talk one evening uh, a few years ago now, and I was trying to explain that we don't try harder to be righteous, that actually the perfect righteousness of Christ has been freely given to us. Romans chapter 3, verse 22. We have a righteousness as Christians, as believers, that is given to us. It's not me, it's not because I'm good, but it's just freely given. And we're sort of going through this point. And part of my illustration is that fact we're clothed in Jesus' righteousness. And I'm supposed to bring out a very clean white handkerchief at this point and explain that, you know, we get Jesus' clothes, Jesus' righteousness placed on me. But I put my hand in my pocket and it's not a clean handkerchief that comes out. It's a filthy handkerchief that comes out. So I apologized to Jesus at this point and uh, carried on with the illustration. And uh, anyway, at the end of the, the evening, you know, I thought, yeah, I'd literally had blown it, you know, pardon the pun. But uh, one girl comes up to me at the end and she says to me this. She says, I'm so glad you used a dirty hanky. She said, because now I realize even I could become a Christian. And I'm thinking, you missed the point completely. That is not the point I was making. But you got completely right another point that God makes. That blessed are the dirty hankies of this world, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is available to every single one. And we aren't blessed and happy if we're a dirty hanky, by the way. Okay? We're blessed and happy when we experience the kingdom of heaven. But it is open to all. We're to repent, we're to turn to God, and the kingdom of heaven is near. He can get involved in our lives, whatever that is, is. He's closer than we ever realize, whatever our situation. Uh, Stu Garrard, who's uh, from the band Delirious, uh, here he is, um, puts it like this. He says, God is on the side of everybody for whom there's no reason why God should be on their side. God is on the side of everybody for whom there is no reason why he should be on their side. It's very powerful, isn't it? And uh, Luke's account of the Beatitudes, or the Blesseds, in Luke chapter 6 and verse 20, is likely to be a different occasion where Jesus is teaching in a similar vein, a similar way. But Luke's account 
is clearly captures Jesus' words uh, about material poverty, not just spiritual poverty. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God, uh, he records. And then in verse 24, he says this, but woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. And uh, it's very, very clear here. Jesus is speaking not only into spiritual poverty, but into material poverty. And there are two things we need to note about this. Firstly, the Jewish religion falsely taught that material prosperity was directly linked to the favor of God. So if you were successful in life, it was because you were favored by God. And if you were seemingly unsuccessful in life, then obviously you didn't have God's blessing upon you. It was their own uh, prosperity gospel, if you like. You know, outward success, sign of God's blessing and favor. And Jesus turns that completely on its head. And he says, God's favor isn't measured by your material success. God's favor is available to all, whatever and wherever you find yourself in society. That's the first thing. The second thing is that poverty itself is not a blessing. It is not a blessing. We look at our world, it's a curse upon our world. It causes heartache across our world. But even within poverty, you can experience the blessing of the kingdom of God. And we all know people in extreme poverty, extremely poor parts of the world who've got incredible joy and faith in God. And we also know people who are incredibly rich who are both completely lost in their soul life and also completely at one with God um, because they're not selfish with their riches. We read what James writes. Um, James was uh, Jesus' half-brother so, uh, and he goes on to write his own letter later on uh, in the New Testament who's encouraging people who are going through the trials and tribulations of life. Many of you would be familiar with it in James chapter 1. And he writes this. He says, Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wild flower. And um, he's got many other things uh, to say to um, the selfishly rich in chapter 5 as well. But the believers he's writing to here in humble circumstances, these were Christian people who because of their faith and because of persecution were not getting decent jobs. Okay? They were getting rotten jobs. They were getting low paid jobs. They were right at the bottom of the, the, the kind of the rungs of the ladder of social society because of their Christian faith. And so James is writing to them to encourage them. He's saying, in the world's eyes, you might be, find yourself in a very low position, humble circumstances, but take pride in your high position. Because the world may see this ladder, but God sees it completely differently. God sees you as someone who is seated with him in the heavenly realms, seated with God himself. God sees you, you are an heir of God. You are a co-heir with Christ and you inherit everything that God has. They are God's adopted children and they're given full rights as his children. Um, they are friends of Jesus. They are brothers and sisters with Jesus himself. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, take pride in your high position despite the struggles that you might find uh, with your finances or whatever. Many of us in our trials, many of us in our challenges in life um, have forgotten who we are in Christ. Um, we've forgotten that we are no less loved than anyone else. That even in the middle of our crisis, even in the middle of our brokenness, God loves us incredibly, incredibly. 
And uh, for the well-off and the well-positioned in society, we ought to, be to remember that it is very temporary. Okay? It does nothing for eternal status with God, which is the most important thing. Great to have it, but actually it is temporary, and it's not that that is important in life. And these blesseds offer us uh, amazing good news that, that we could ever hope for in our world. And it's simply this, that God is always available to you, whoever you are or whatever your circumstances, that he is fully present in the pain and in the ache and in the lack and in the not yetness that you experience in life. He is always available. And the, but the reality is that deep down in our worlds, people feeling, feel unblessed. You know, people even feel unblessable. You know, God would never bless me. God would never do something good in my life. You know, we see so many much of issues around image and identity today. You know, it's been a real scourge of our age through advertising, through social media. People are basically unhappy with themselves. They're unhappy with the way um, they look. Uh, we're unhappy with the way we weigh. Uh, we're unhappy with the hair we have. Uh, we're unhappy with our appearance sometimes, our age. Um, there's this thing in culture with this relentless uh, need to be engaged in romance and physical fitness and image and all of that. Um, and these have become the things that our society have convinced many determine whether you're on the blessed list of life or whether you're on the wall list of life, as uh, Luke put it. Especially in our teens, especially young adults, uh, but right across uh, the ages as well. So in life... Do you, what is it that makes you determine whether you feel blessed in life or whether you're on the wall? What does society say to us? You know, we're on the wall bit of life. Things are not good for us. What is it? Because that determines what we, how we think. And we may say, we may put ourselves over here, but Jesus doesn't tell us off for it. Jesus doesn't tell us off, but he goes on later in his sermon to point out the natural beauty of every human being. And he, what he does is he says this. He says, think of the most glamorous person you can think of. I don't know who that might be for you. It uh, might be, I don't know, George Clooney. It might be Julia Roberts. Um, you may be into Beyonce or Zac Efron. I don't know what your thing is. But who's the most glamorous person that you know? And then he says this. Because in, G in Jesus' day, the, apparently the most glamorous person around was Solomon. He was the guy that everybody wanted to, to look like. And he says, think of Solomon in all of his splendor. And he says, the most glamorous person you know is not as ravishingly beautiful as a simple flower in a field. He says, take all of Princess Diana's dresses, or would have, and all of the celebs on the red carpet dresses that they wear for Oscars night. Take all of those together, and he says, put them beside a simple poppy from a field. And he says, the flower wins hands down, and it didn't even try. He says, how much more with God's kingdom flowing through you, will there be a natural beauty that is more beautiful than any flower that God has ever made? Okay, that is Matthew 6 and verse 30. It doesn't matter even what we do look like. It doesn't matter what we think we look like. It doesn't matter if you smell bad even. It doesn't matter if you've got three eyes. It doesn't matter if you smell bad and you've got three eyes. Okay, if you're too big or too little or too loud, you are riotously celebrated in the party of Jesus. Okay? Me and you are riotously celebrated in the party of Jesus. 
You know, maybe your life has seriously crossed you. You know, some hard stuff in life. You know, you failed at something or feel that you have. You know, perhaps you feel the education system's failed you. Your know, parents have left you, let you down, maybe even walked out on you. Um, life's burned you up, spat you out. You, know, you can feel broken, you can feel damaged. You can have an incurable virus, an incurable disease. You can be barren, you can be pregnant too many times. You can be pregnant at the wrong time. You can be overemployed, you can be underemployed. You can be unemployed, you can be unemployable. You can be swindled, you can be shoved aside, you can be replaced, you can feel lonely, you can be incompetent, you can be emotionally starved or emotionally drained by life. But Jesus offers to all the blessedness of his kingdom, regardless of the circumstances and regardless of the experience. The life we look for comes simply by bringing ourselves into a simple friendship with Jesus and just beginning to let him work and lead us through life. Now even the moral disasters of our world are received by God as they come to rely on Jesus. They come to trust him in their life and begin to walk with him. Whatever they've done, you know, whatever we've done, okay, the forgiveness of God is limitless in his kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is available to all, says Jesus. Uh, here's uh, a well-known Christian musician. He says this. He says, I've met so many people like me so many of us whose lives are tangled up, so many who are recovering but still limping, so many of us who aren't amongst the world's poorest, and yet we feel as though we're scraping out an existence just to stay alive. So many of us who are carrying so much spiritual and emotional baggage that our bones are bent with the weight. And while our symptoms and our causes are as unique as the freckles on our skin, we're all united by one simple word, poverty. We're all poor, None of us can make it on our own. But God is on the side of everybody for whom there is even no reason why God should be on their side. So right there in the middle of the world's most famous sermon ever is the key to making sense of life. Even in the 21st century, with all of its chaos and all of its confusion um, and all of its potential and, and the poverty that's there as well, he says you are blessed when you are poor. You are blessed when you're poor in spirit, when you're spiritually bankrupt, when you feel pathetic, when you feel bedraggled, confused, when you feel morally empty, and when you believe the lie that there's nothing good left in you uh, or even within you, because the God who is reordering, the God who is remaking, restoring and reshaping the world is with you. He is with you. God is on your side. Maybe the bands could come up and uh, let's pray together. Father, we come before you this morning and just remind ourselves that you really are here today. You're really here for every single person here today and this week, Lord. Every person we see and meet. The kingdom of heaven is available. However we feel this morning, you know, whatever our spiritual state this morning, we can turn to you afresh and allow you in to bring healing into our brokenness and into our bedraggledness and all of life as put before us. Your kingdom, Lord, come. And I pray that each one would know your blessing upon them today. I pray you would speak into each of our hearts and remind us of the blessings that we have. And for those that want to open their hearts, 
for the first time, I pray, Lord, that you would lead them, that you are the God who makes heaven available to all in the here and now.